This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. Welcome to The Adventurer, a show about the Amazing Adventures RPG, a modern, multi-genre, role-playing game. Welcome to the 10th episode of the Crusader Podcast. We have a special guest tonight for you, Jason Vay. He's here to talk to us today about Amazing Adventures. Unfortunately, Tyler can't join us today. He's got some other things going on. But we're going to jump right into this conversation with Jason. So, Jason, thanks for coming on to the podcast tonight. Thanks. It's, uh, it's really cool to be here. Glad to finally have you on. And we're going to jump right into it. Jason, could you start uh, uh, just telling us, you know, we've all done this because we've all been on the podcast, but could you talk about yourself and who you are and your gaming history for our listeners? Sure. Um, I actually started gaming with AD&D First Edition in 1979. Uh, I was five years old. I was sitting around a table with my uncle and his high school friends in my grandmother's basement. Uh, yes, it was all very stereotypical. <laughs> um, uh, I was rolling dice when I was told to and didn't really understand what was going on. Uh, but that's really how it all started, and I, I really never stopped gaming. Um, I... Uh, Got into writing games around 99, I want to say, 99, 2000. Um, my first work was for Palladium Books. Um, I did an article and then a source book for the Nightbane role-playing game. From there, uh, I parted ways with them and uh, hooked up with Eden Studios, and I did a bunch of stuff for uh, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer game, the All Flesh Must Be Eaten role-playing game, a few little things for Witchcraft and Armageddon. Um and then uh, I've done a bunch of little things here and there for a ton of different companies. Um, I did some work for Misfit Studios. I did uh, some stuff for um, the the I don't know if they're still around, but Iron Crown came back for a little while. They were doing Harp again, mm-hmm. uh, and I did something for them, and that that I don't think ever even saw the light of day. Um, and then I just I kind of hooked up with Steve through. Uh, uh, I fell in love with Castles and Crusades when it first came out in 04, and um, I became friends with uh, a guy that used to do tech support for them that was a regular on the forums. He went by in the name of Break Daddy, and he and I became real good friends, and he kind of hooked me up with uh, with Trollord, and the rest is history. So I think I remember that name from the forums. <laughs> yeah, his name was actually Jason Alexander. No, he's not the actor from Seinfeld. Oh, yeah, I know him. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, my first gig for, I mean, actually my first accepted work for uh, Troller was the Amazing Adventures manuscript. Um, but as things tend to do in the industry, it sat on Steve's desk for like two years before he actually got around to editing it and putting it out. Um, so my first published uh, work for Trollord was, I, I have the dubious distinction of having written the only adventure module for Star Siege. People want that game to come back, though, I think. Yeah, and you know what? It's going to. Um, we're going to redo it as a uh, an Amazing Adventures source book. Uh, it's just a matter of when. Um, it's I can't say that it's in progress right now. I've got some notes. Uh, I started a few things here and there, but it hasn't officially been greenlit. It's not on the schedule right now, um, so I don't want people to think, oh, Jason said we're going to do we're bringing Star Siege back. I mean... It's in the long-term plan. We definitely want to do it. It's just a matter of the timing being right and fitting it into the schedule amidst all the other stuff that we have going on. But um, when it comes back, it will be uh, much like Amazing Adventures. It will be 99.9% compatible with uh, 
castles and crusades. Um, so you won't have the learning curve that you had with the original version. Uh, it'll be retooled from the top to the bottom to fit with castles and crusades and, and amazing adventures. So, okay. So for amazing adventures, if you were going to give us like an elevator pitch, just, just a quick, um, explanation of, of what the game is, how would you best describe your game? The way I tell people at cons is that if castles and crusades is our, um, like high fantasy D and D type, game amazing adventures is everything else with the exact same system so it's really whatever you want it to be if you like science fiction you can play science fiction if you like wild west play wild west lovecrafty and horror it's in there uh it's it's a toolkit game that is built to be completely compatible with cnc and play any type of genre you want so literally you could play like like a space adventure or a cowboy adventure or 1920s sleuthy sort of adventure yes pretty much anything It's, yeah, it's it sounds to me a little bit like if you were only playing CNC, it still could be a value to you as a player if you wanted to incorporate some of those elements into your fantasy campaign. Absolutely. All the new character classes will drop right into Castles and Crusades. Um, there's a lot of people, um, and we've been really trying to educate people about this. There's been a lot of people that have been asking for psionics for CNC, and we have them. They're, they're in Amazing Adventures. Uh, that's the official psionics system for the Siege Engine. So there's a, there's a um, mentalist character class in there that's the psionic. Um, and then I have a gumshoe class, which is, uh, in a CNC term, would be kind of like an urban ranger. It's a detective who tracks down fugitives, bounty hunter type. Uh, there's a whole new magic system in Amazing Adventures that still works seamlessly with CNC. In fact, it's based on one of the systems that I wrote for the Castle Keeper's Guide, which is the, the mana energy point system. So it's a point-based spell casting system. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of it will just drop right into CNC with no problems whatsoever. Uh, we have a fate point system that allows you to have a little more player agency in your game in there. You can do things like get a plot twist, spend points to automatically make saving throws, spend points to boost your attack rolls, um, things like that. Uh, so there's, there's just a ton of stuff in there that, that it's all designed to fit seamlessly with castles and crusades. So I got to admit right up front, I have not played Amazing Adventures or ran it yet. Well, you should. Uh, <laughs> it's it's I've got the um, I've got the core book. I've got the companion and I've got the manual of monsters. OK, yeah. Uh, yeah, those are the three core books. There's also the book of powers, um, which is a complete superpowers system and also has rules in there for playing demons, playing vampires, playing werewolves, playing angels. Uh, cool. There's a skill system in there. There's a simplified version of the firearms rules. Our firearms rules are, are something that a lot of people have really, really celebrated, but then there's also people who think that they're um, they're a little too much. So we have a streamlined version of the firearm book of powers for people who want to ease things up a little bit. So. Yeah, it's uh, I've got the books. Um, I just it's just like all those games that everybody has that they want to play and they just haven't got to them yet. Um, yeah, I'm looking at my shelves right now. I have a bunch of this myself. So <laughs> yeah. So, but it's definitely high on the list. Um, I got to say that the the books are are nice, uh, even though they're black and white. And full yeah, disclosure, well, I prefer black and white. Oh um, yeah, I was yeah, just gonna yeah, say yeah. when we uh, when we get to the next printing, the plan is to go color with it. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, but you I can't love the fight color. the future, Jesse. You can't fight. <laughs> I know. The future. No, I'm with you though, Jesse. I prefer black and white too. I yeah. like the black and white. Like I, I feel like I spend more time looking at a black and white. Uh, picture than I do a, a colored one, but that's like you said, it's the future. Um, 
But no, the books are uh, beautiful, and I think you did a great job of of the organization and everything like that. It's it's definitely intriguing. I'm not one that'll usually read a rule book all the way through, and I haven't read Amazing Adventures all the way through. But it's it caught me right away. You know, I was all of a sudden I'm 50 pages in, didn't realize that I was just flipping through it page by page. Uh, so I, I think that's one of the great things about it. It's, it's easy to pick up and and read. Well, thank you. That means a lot, actually, because um, I think good writing is something that a lot of games gloss over. I mean, too many games read like they're instruction manuals. You know, they're not enjoyable to read, and, and I kind of pride myself on text that's easy and enjoyable to read. So, Yeah, well, I think you definitely hit home on that. I think anybody that's played CNC, well, I think anybody in general could pick the game up and play it, but anybody that's familiar with CNC could definitely jump right into it. And that was that was the goal. I mean, that was the mandate from day one. Um, when when I talked to Steve about it, you know, I because they had already had Star Siege out at the time, and and he was he was already kind of in the corner of it's just too different from Castles and Crusades. It's it's the complaint we're always getting. There's too much of a learning curve. So this game has to be completely compatible. Like somebody who's a fan of CNC needs to pick it up and go. So that was that was the mandate from day one. Okay, and. Uh- just to go over real quick, like what are, I know it runs off the Siege engine, but it's the same attributes for characters and CNC characters and Amazing it's, Adventures. Yeah, it's 100% the same. The only difference is that um, in a modern game, you don't have people running around in chain mail and plate mail. Don't I needed you to come judge up with, me. No, I, was kidding. <laughs> I needed to come up with a different. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, cloaks. Cloaks are great for cold winter days. <laughs> and summoning dark forces. No, but I had to come up with a different system for for uh, giving AC bonuses. So mm-hmm. actually what Amazing Adventures does is um, instead of going with modern armor, we went with uh, what I call the pulp AC system. Basically, you describe your character's costume to the GM, and the GM gives you a AC bonus based on how cool your character looks. <laughs> and I love that. Like in, Indiana yeah. Jones, right? Like he doesn't got plate mail on. He doesn't got chain mail. He's still a badass, though. And right. And there's guidelines. Up. Then there's guidelines. Then in there for what happens when you're not wearing your adventure at the beginning of of um, Temple of Doom when Indy's in his three piece or his tuxedo at the beginning. Well, there's actually an armor class bonus that he would get for wearing formal evening clothes instead of his normal adventuring gear. <laughs> so your your AC can fluctuate, but it's going to fluctuate however much the GM wants it to fluctuate. You know, um, if he wants to say you have a plus seven bonus and let it sit, then let it sit. You know, but that option is there for you to switch off based on how your characters dressed and how they look at the time. So we've we've talked a little bit about how Amazing Adventures is like CNC. Let's talk a little bit about how it's different because there are some nuances <laughs> that set it apart from the other game. One that comes to mind is the fate points that get brought. Yeah. Up. Yeah, the fate points again. I mentioned those earlier, um, and that's that's and again, there's something that could be dropped right into your CNC game. In fact, they're in the, um, the Castle Keeper's Guide uh, for for CNC. But again, they're a way to to um, give some player agency, and they're not much different. I mean, a lot of games are doing systems like that now. You have uh, uh, the Unisystem had drama points. The Cortex system, I think, had story points. The Doctor Who role-playing game has story points. So it's just a bunch of different ways to give the players a little more control over what happens. So 
you could spend a fate point to roll. You have a fate die that goes up and as you go up in levels. So it might be a D6 at first level and a D8 at fifth level. And you'll spend a fate point and roll that to add it to a D20 roll. Um, you can spend fate points to uh, heal damage on the fly. So you get your second wind and, you know, oh, I'm not hurt as bad as I thought I was because you spend fate points and you heal. Um, you can do things like... Uh, you can take minor control of the scene by spending a fate point. You can only do that once per session, but it would be something like your characters are running up the stairs, uh, you know, the fire escape being chased by bad guys. Uh, and when you get to the top, somebody spends a fate point and says, well, good thing the bolts are rusty on this ladder. I just kick it away. Things like that. So it's just kind of a little neat thing to give the players a little bit more agency in how the game plays out. Um, another thing that's different is, again, we have a point-based, it's a point and skill-based magic system. I don't want to say skill, a point and siege check-based magic system. Uh, so when you cast a spell, you have to spend spell points um, and then make a intelligence, wisdom, or charisma, depending on what kind of spellcaster you are, check um, to cast your spell. Uh, and if you fail to cast the spell, uh, you can cast spells all day long as long as you don't fail. When you fail to cast a spell... You take damage from spell burn, and then you lose access to the spell for 24 hours. The psionic system is also something new. Uh, that's entirely siege check based. Um, you have your suite of psionic powers, and you make a siege check uh, to make them work. So if you want to use um, mind control on somebody, you'll make a siege check. Um, and the, the CL, just like anything else, is equal to the hit die of your opponent. And if you succeed, your power works. If you fail, then again, it has a it has a psychic burn mechanic where you'll take damage and, and lose access to your powers for a time. You know, I, I like Vancey and Magic as much as anybody else, but it is refreshing sometimes to have a different spellcasting system. It is, and, and Vancey and Magic doesn't work as well for a modern game uh, as it does for, for uh, a C&C type fantasy game. So I needed something that was a little more dynamic for the modern era. Um, and I also worked in, it's optional, but there's actually a sanity and corruption mechanic that you can bolt on that gives you more of a, like a HP Lovecraft or Robert E. Howard feel to the magic where it slowly corrupts you and drives you mad the more you use it. Um, that's an optional add-on subsystem, but that's in there as well. Um, oh, another thing that's, that is a little bit different from, from CNC, but again, all of these things can be dropped right in, uh, is I have a concept of generic class abilities in here. So you can actually swap out one of your core class abilities and pick up one of these generic class abilities, which lets you customize your character a little bit. Um, so like if you want to be an ace pilot or an, an ace, if you want to build a character that's a wheelman, um, you can drop one of your class abilities and pick up the ace generic class ability. Um, there's a two-fisted generic class ability that lets you fight with two weapons, including two guns if you want to. So there's... There's that, that element in there, too. A little bit of character customization, but again, all of these things work seamlessly with Castles and Crusades. You can take any of these things and just drop them right into a CNC game and run with it. One thing I could imagine doing for a CNC game is adopting the mana system for, uh, for example, for elves particularly. And that way it gives a different feel to elven magic as opposed to wizards with their big tomes and they're studying and researching and memorizing spells and elves are just like tra-la-la fiddly-dee I shoot magic at my fingertips yeah it could <laughs> it could be done to do more of like a sorcerer D&D &D style sorcerer magic I think that 
an arcanist from Amazing Adventures might be a little more powerful than a, a standard CNC mm-hmm. wizard. So you might want to be careful about that. Um, it, it, I would more recommend replacing the magic system altogether if you're going to do it instead of running them side by side. Um, but I don't know. I haven't actually tried it. It, it might actually work out. Yeah. Fine. And I mean, I, I've made the argument on this podcast before. I don't care about balance. <laughs> School, man. That's it. As long as it's fun to play, that's what matters. Right. So other than that, I think most of the differences are just in terms of like modern versus fantasy. I mean, I had to have I had to come up with rules for firearms. I had to come up with uh, vehicle rules um, for car chases and things like that. Um, but I don't know if those are different as much as they are add-on. So a lot of the a lot of the differences are just things that are building onto the system rather than changing. Um, the only two things that are really different, I mean, again, fate points even aren't really different. They're just adding on. I do have uh, exploding and imploding die rolls in Amazing <laughs> Adventures. So if you roll a natural 20, you roll another D6 and add it. And if it comes up a 6, you roll it again and add it, and you keep going as long as you keep scoring 6s. Uh, and it's the same thing. If you roll a natural 1, you're going to roll a D6 and subtract it and keep going as long as you keep stringing 6s together. So <laughs> I have usually... Never- Sorry, go ahead. I have never heard the term imploding dice, but I immediately knew <laughs> what you meant as soon as you yep. said it. I was like, oh, I know what that is. I've never heard of that um, before. That's a new mechanic to me, at least. Well, and the thing about it is usually when you roll a one, you're going to fail anyways. It gives, it kind of gives the GM a benchmark of just how badly are things going. Like mm-hmm. if I roll a natural one and then I string three sixes together – something pretty catastrophic is about to happen. Right. <laughs> so um, it also works in combat too. Uh, it's a critical hit system. So in combat, when you roll a natural 20, those D6s are your extra damage for, for a critical hit. I like that. I, I, when you uh, mentioned the um, the vehicle rules and things like that, Amazing Adventures, really, you could use it as a toolkit and, and tack it on to CNC stuff. So now I've got in my head, I need to run a... CNC game, but like a death race CNC game, like a Mad Max fantasy. <laughs> yep. Um, Demolition yeah. car game. Again, AA was built as a, a toolkit game. That's exactly what it's designed for. But as far as the death race thing, Steve and I have been talking about doing a post apocalyptic source book for it for years. Um, that's something else we'd really like to do. Uh, and, and it will happen at some point in time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, but again, if I run it's, a con game, it's going to be dwarves and elves and, and <laughs> all that stuff in cars. Hey, go for it, man! It still could be post-apocalyptic. You know, look That's at uh, look at Dark Sun. Yeah, yeah. You know, they could be um, wheeled golems. They could be uh... wheeled golems. <laughs> <laughs> we actually just put out the wheeled golems thing. I actually just posted really? today. Actually, it came out. Last year during our um, amazing Adventures Month, uh, which we started doing in May last year, and I'm hoping to do again this year, um, get it? Amazing Adventures. It's Got funny. It. Laugh. Um, so wait, I'll laugh at that, but how come, <laughs> how come in Amazing Adventures you don't got some quirky name for the Game Master? It's just the Game Master. Because I don't like quirky names for Game Masters. I just call it what it is. Adventure Adjudicator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I... I... I'm fine with it being Game Master. Um, Me too. I just had to give you some because because <laughs> of the amazing adventures month. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, Steve always teases me because I like my alliteration. 
um, you know, it's amazing adventures. Um, so I'm always coming up with, with alliterative names for things and he hates it. And whenever he complains that he hates it, I'm like, dude, you wrote a game called castles and crusades. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I just put up today, they came out last year for, for the amazing adventures. Uh, and a lot of people didn't realize they were out there. We did preliminary rules for, uh, battle mechs and kaiju with, uh, Amazing adventures. <laughs> so, if you want to run a Pacific Rim style game, the 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 rules are up on the Amazing Adventures Facebook group right now. See, that's actually something that I've rolled around in my head for a long time is is doing something like Battle Mechs versus Kaiju, and I've I've had this idea for years and never acted on it. But it sounds like I could do it with CNC mixed with Amazing Adventures, but have the heroes be these uh, uh, golem drivers, essentially pilots of golems that fight dragons. So that would totally work. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that might be something I uh, uh, walk down that path with these two games. <laughs> you know, something else that would be really cool is, and I didn't touch on this, um, one of the new character classes in Amazing Adventures is Gadgeteer, because you have to have a Gadgeteer super science guy. Um, and this is one of the things that people have really dug, and which I think would work really well if you wanted to do like an alchemist style or or like a gnome tinkerer type in in castles and crusades the way they work is instead of coming up with like a complicated gadget creation system you basically take your gadget points and you buy spells which you then reskin as your gadgets um i thought about doing this this whole power based system and um it occurred to me pretty much every power you want is already there in the game represented in the spells so if you want like a homing blaster pistol you just buy magic missile and you reskin it as a homing blaster pistol. So that's basically how your gadgeteer works, and that would work in really well with that type of game too, where you know you have these guys who are building these giant golems that people can get in and drive. Hmm. I love that. I, I think that's like the reskinning. Uh, that is really cool because, like you said, I mean the spells offer a, a ton of different options, and it's. I'm also what one magic missile looks like compared to another, right? right. If it comes out of a pistol. That's cool. It doesn't change anything. It, it's neat, you know. Right. If you want a grenade launcher, you do fireball. You know. I'm a big proponent of of reskinning. Of I don't like reinventing the wheel when you don't have to. If you've already got a system in place that works, there's absolutely no reason to ever design a new system. Um, I, I don't I don't like that kind of game design. I think it just gets overly complicated. You make the changes that you have to make, uh, but you always keep it streamlined and within the overall framework of whatever you're working in, in this case, the siege engine, you know, um, I didn't have to design a, a brand new gadget creation system because the spells gave me everything I needed. So I just used them. So Jason, um, I know you've been, you're getting ready to release amazing adventures for five E. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, it just seemed like a natural way to go. I mean, we've been doing, um, I'm actually the five E line developer for Trollord right now. So all of the 5e fantasy stuff that we've been doing, I'm largely responsible for too. Um, we've had a couple different authors come in to do some module conversions, but most of it has been me. Um, and uh, it just seemed the natural thing, a natural way to go. 5e is very popular right now. Nobody has to worry. Uh, the Siege Engine is not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, that's our baby. That's our house system. Fifth edition is just, it's a good system. Uh, it works well. It's fun to play. And it makes money right now. Um, and, you know, as a game company, we got to pay the bills. And it would be dumb for us to not actually 
take advantage of, of that crowd, bringing some people in. And also, um, even more so, it allows us to introduce other people to our games. So if I can put out the 5e Player's Guide to Aired, which is coming out really soon, it should be at press now, I think, um, and it takes some D&D 5e player uh, and gets them to look at the Codex of Aired and then maybe explore Castles and Crusades, hey, that's a win. So 5e was just a natural way to go for us. The systems on their surface look and feel very similar. The underlying is very different, which makes it complicated to convert. But um, they look and play similarly on the surface. Right. So I got kind of excited about the idea of doing a 5e Amazing Adventures, largely because... I mean, other people now by this time have started to play with the idea of modern 5e games, but nobody has yet done a, an answer to 5th edition fantasy. Amazing Adventures 5th edition is going to be your modern, multi-genre, toolkit, 5th edition rule set. Um, and we're, we're hoping to beat everybody else to the market with something like that. Something big and generic and... I don't want to say generic, that's a terrible term, but you know what I mean. Like something, a toolkit, a big big open toolkit game something usable at your table regardless of what story or narrative you want to tell exactly whatever type of game you want to play you know this is like it was like when they did d20 modern back in the third edition days mm -hmm. um this is like that but for fifth edition and even more closely aligned with the current you know if you want to take a 5e fighter and drop it into your amazing adventures 5e game you can you'll just have to assign it modern weapon proficiencies and you'll be done um so it, it just seemed a natural way to go and um honestly it's been a lot of fun to design just about wrapping up play test um my sunday group just finished our level 17 i think play test last mm -hmm. week um and we're gonna do our level we're gonna start our level 20 play test next week um, I have two groups here at home play testing it. We've had a group or two outside that have been sending me comments, play test comments. Um, and it's really shaking out well. I think people are going to really dig it. Um, I ran a preview of it at, at GaryCon this year, and uh, the, the lady and gentleman at my table um, all loved it. So they, they, were, they were all asking when they could get in on the Kickstarter. So that was, that was encouraging. So yeah, I mean, that's that's what's going on with that. It's just about done in playtest. The character classes are largely the same as the ones in the Siege Engine version. Um, I did, the Siege Engine Amazing Adventures has only one spellcasting class, the Arcanist. I did split that up into three that are essentially just a reskin version of the Wizard, Cleric, and, and uh, Warlock from 5th from edition fantasy. Um, but other than that... Fans of Amazing Adventures will recognize the character classes. The Gumshoe is there, the Gadgeteer is there, the Mentalist is there, the Socialite is there, the Raider. Um, and they all work largely the same as they do in the Castles and Crusades version. Just a little more codified, which is how 5th edition works. Things are a little more clearly broken out than they are in C&C. So. I think it's great, too, because 5e, whether you like it or not, has a higher power level. Like it's a, it's a higher fantasy game. It's harder to get away from, and you definitely can. It just takes more work to get away from the high fantasy part of Five E with a pulpy game. That is a good marriage, I think, because especially if you're trying to emulate a lot of pulpy movies, you know, I, I feel right. like that 
they go hand in hand pretty well together. Or I would think that they And that's something I wanted to bring up too though. Um and we talked about this a little bit before the before the podcast is the idea of Amazing Adventures as a pulp game. We're kind of trying to move away from that perception of the game. Um the fifth edition version is going to be marketed as a modern multi-genre playing game. And that's how we're going to market it. The Siege version, starting with the next printing, is going to be rebranded in that way. The game's not going to change, but it'll be rebranded to be multi-genre instead of pulp. Um, And the reason for that is that when I first started this, to me, pulp, I've been a fan of the pulps for all my life. I started with uh, Robert E. Howard and Conan when I was like 10 years old. My dad had the old Ace Paperback series and got me into them. Um, But to me, pulp has always been genre fiction. Um, Genre fiction printed on cheap, pulpy paper. It wasn't tied to the 1920s. It wasn't tied to Indiana Jones-style action-adventure. To me, Conan is pulp. H.P. Lovecraft is pulp. uh, Doc Savage is pulp. um, And any any paperback book that you pick up off the shelves in the sci-fi fantasy section today of Barnes and Noble or Amazon is is pulp because it's just it's just an early word for genre fiction. Unfortunately, that's not the perception that most people have, and it kind of put the game in a box that we didn't want it to be into. So we're going to move it out of that box and clarify that it's actually a mod- genre game so if you want to play a wild west game you can play it with aa if you want to play sci-fi you can if you want to play superheroes you can it's it's all in this package um so we're going to try to move away from the pulp branding of it do you guys have a cover already done we do and it is awesome cool um i'm hoping to reveal it soon i know that steve revealed it on a twitch cast that they did a couple weeks ago Uh i keep forgetting to ask him if it's okay for me to uh post it for people to see um but it's it's very very cool jason walton did it who is the cover artist on the alternate uh cnc players handbook cover um and i'm really really jazzed about it like i threw out like a couple basic disjointed ideas and he just kind of took it to the next level it's it's really neat it's a really cool cover I really like his I like his his work that he's been contributing. Yeah, we're really lucky to have a number of great artists working for for Castles and Crusades and for Troller games in general. So, um especially between uh Jason and Peter um uh, just they're masters at what they do. So, we're yeah, we're we're very lucky in that regard. So, when the 5th edition version of Amazing Adventure comes out, is there going to be a Kickstarter for that? Yes, there is, um, and I wish I could tell you exactly when it is. We don't have a set date for it, but it's coming up very, very soon. Possibly within two weeks. Possibly. I don't want to promise. Steve said possibly within two weeks. Um, and there's a couple things that he has to get off his desk for. Uh, we're trying to get um, harvesters done and off to press. Um, we have the Monsters and Treasure book that has been uh, experiencing interminable delays um, that we're trying to get finished and off the desk. And then Player's Guide to Aired, which uh, is is in layout and hopefully, well, I don't know if it's at press yet. I, I, I hope it is, but it may still be in layout. Um, so those three things we need to get off the desk. And as soon as they're off the desk, um, Amazing Adventures is going to kickstart. So, uh, and hopefully it draws tons of attention from both 
our fans and from fifth edition fans. And it's going to be the biggest Kickstarter in the history of troll Lord games, millions of dollars. It'll be, it'll be amazing. You had to say amazing. I totally, that <laughs> I realized that as I said it, yes, it'll be an amazing adventure. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Know, I'm here all week. I, I, I sort of, I mean, I'm not trying to jinx or anything. I sort of could foresee it uh, doing really well just because there is a, a hole right now in in that crowd where they're they might want to incorporate kind of modern elements into their uh fifth edition game and this would allow them to do that that's what we're hoping yeah that's that's kind of what what i'm hoping and what i'm banking on is that there's the demand out there for this so uh knock on wood mm-hmm. uh we can get the word out and people will pick up on it and and run for it so we'll see what happens I, I can say I am really super proud of it. Um, it has been so much fun. Playtesting has been so much fun. Um, I'm not running the playtest. I'm playing it because I never run playtests of what I write. I have some guys I trust uh, as GMs that I have run my playtests. Oh, that's a good um, idea. <laughs> yeah, because if I, run, if I run the game, I know how it's supposed to work. Right. So I'm more likely to just gloss over things that are missing, whereas... If my friend Robert uh, runs it, he's going to stop right away and go, hey, wait a second, the rules don't say what I'm supposed to do here, and then I know I can go and fix it. So, Yeah. That's a, that's, um, I would call that a pro tip. <laughs> that's yeah, a- to other game designers out there listening or potential game designers. I mean, adventure modules are one thing. You can't have somebody else run an adventure module because you wrote it, you know how it's going to play out, so that doesn't help you. Mm-hmm. You know, So I do run my own adventure module, um, but if you're writing a game, a source book, a core game, anything that's, that's actual got rules systems in it, don't run it yourself. Have somebody else run it and play it. Well, as a potential game designer, I appreciate the advice. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. All right. Do we want to go into questions? Comments and stuff. All right, let's do the voicemail first. Hello, Crusader Podcast. This is Roberto Michetti saying hi from Puerto Rico. Uh, I know you'll be discussing Amazing Adventures, and I'm about to start an Amazing Adventures campaign using the rules for a Western game that mixes in some uh, Cthulhu Mises into the game. I was wondering, besides the already published Western adaptation in the Adventure, Amazing Adventures Companion. Do you have any suggestions and ways to adapt the rules to make it more like a Western? And a second question, I know you already discussed house rules, but I'm preparing a Castle Hunter Safe adventure right after the Amazing Adventures uh, campaign, and I was wondering about Specialty Priest. If you have any recommendations on adapting some rules to make priests of different religions uh different from one another. And a final question, are there any winged elves in any Castle Hunter State source book I can use? That's it. Thank you for the podcast. I love your content. Hope to keep listening and much success. Take care. Okay, so um, for uh, for his first question, um, I, no, I really don't think you need to adapt the rules at all. I mean, I think that's kind of the beauty of the Siege engine is that it works just the way it is. It's, it's so... It's so freeform and open, um, and I gave the guidelines uh, for Wild West gaming in the Amazing Adventures Companion. That's really all you need. Um, 
if I were to do a Wild West source book, which I would actually like to do at some point in time, um, there would be more equipment, um, handguns, uh, lasso, you know, things of that nature. Um, I would probably do a Weird West chapter where I would have monsters, but really a lot of it would focus on the tropes of the Western game, um, which honestly I'm not an expert on at this point. I have run a Wild West game, um, but I I kind of wing it. Um, I would I can recommend just do, doing research, doing reading, um, learn about the actual Wild West, because I'll tell you what, uh, the stuff that actually happened in the Wild West is way cooler than any Hollywood movie that's ever been made about the Wild West. It always frustrates me. I don't, I'm not a fan of spaghetti westerns because to me, the actual life of Billy the Kid and Doc Holliday was so much cooler than what Hollywood has done with it. Hmm. Um, so I don't think you need any more rules. I think you need to just immerse yourself in the tropes of the genre you're running. Um, that would be what I, what I would advise in that one. Um, for, uh, his question about castles and crusades, uh, he wanted, uh, specialty priests in there. Uh, look at the player's guide to aired. Um, there are actually specialty priests, uh, in the, in the deities section in the player's guide to aired. Um, they talk about special granted abilities that the gods give just like they do in, in the older versions of D and D they used to get clerics of certain gods used to get special granted abilities um and that'll give you a really good baseline to build your own pantheon and your own specialty clerics um basically it just comes down to a god of a the god of death will give a death related special ability to their clerics um it can scale as they go up in level but it shouldn't overpower them compared to other characters in the game but that's that's i think the best way to do specialty clerics um, and the third thing I couldn't really hear well. I think he was asking if there was wind elves. Winged, I believe. And winged elves. Um, I don't think we have any winged elves. Um, but um, there's no reason you couldn't just give them a fly speed. I mean, that's how I'd handle it. I mean, if you want to make them as a player character race, you have to stop as a, as a CK and consider what effect... Uh, giving a player character the ability to fly at first level is going to do to your game. Um, I don't necessarily think that it'll overpower things, but it does change the dynamic of the game. Um, walls are meaningless when you have a character that can fly. Um, you have a sheer cliff that people need to climb up while one of your characters is going to zip right up it. Um, so that's something you need to consider before adding winged characters to your game. Uh, but... Um, other than that, I would just I would just make them elves and give them a fly speed. Yeah, the only suggestion I would have to it is I would be cautious to uh, give them a fly speed and let them carry other characters. So if they can fly, they're not quite strong enough at flight to carry a, a heavy load with them while they do it. Right, that's true. You have to consider that it's more than just your physical strength that allows you to carry things. It's what your wings can support. Um, and And... Again, you might want to give them... I might be inclined to give a flying elf uh, a constitution penalty because they're hollow-boned, <laughs> like birds. Right. You know? Um, and then you could... you could, uh, And maybe even a strength penalty, too, because hollow-bones don't support the weight that solid-bones do. So, uh, that makes you buoyant. And then when you try to carry a character that is not hollow-boned, 
it causes problems. You, you know, your your fly speed is reduced. You can't go as high off the ground. Maybe you can't do it at all. So those are things to consider too. Absolutely, yeah. You could also get into some environmental factors too, because obviously if you're flying, you're going to probably be flying outside more. Um, so weather can hinder that. If your if your character is wet or something, you know, maybe he can't fly. Um, the wind mm. speed. All those things, I think, could could be brought into it, and and to help balance it out, I I think it's it would be a cool idea. And also, I mean, if they spend a lot of time in cramped dungeons, it's not going to matter that they have wings or not. So, I mean, it, it, I don't think it's going to mess up your game to have it. I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't lose sleep over it. I would just consider it a little bit. Absolutely. All right. So we got a few other ones that came through Facebook and email. So we have a couple questions here from Facebook. Ingolf Schaefer asks. What is going on with a possible Amazing Adventure-based Star Siege? Uh, well, we touched on that a little bit earlier. It's definitely in the works. Uh, it's it's going to happen. I just don't know exactly when. It's not on the schedule right now. It's not in active development, although I have done a little bit of work on it. Um, it's not going to look a lot like the old Star Siege because it's going to be rebuilt to be completely compatible with Castles and Crusades and Amazing Adventures. Um, in addition, I don't want to take the work of the, of uh, the original author, um, of Star Siege because he's not really going to be involved much. So I don't really want to step on his toes. Um, so it's still going to be a science fiction space opera game. Um, I have experimented with a skill system because I know a lot of people have asked for that. Um, and I know Victorious uses a skill system that people have liked, um, so I've experimented with a skill system that will plug in seamlessly to Castles and Crusades and Amazing Adventure, um, and I may experiment with that uh, because I know people kind of want that in their science fiction game. If I do, it'll be an optional add-on. There will be new alien races. There will be guidelines on building alien races. Um, there will be starship combat rules. Uh, everything you expect in in a sci-fi science fantasy space opera type game um <clears throat> there will probably be a sample setting it'll just be a here's how you put the tools together to build a setting and then you can use it if you want but so yes it's definitely it's definitely going to happen i just don't know when okay cool well something to look forward to andrew joins asked uh what is going on with the possible planescape conversion best sitting ever <laughs> and then will it fit with cnc victorious and amazing adventures so um i think what happened is that somebody misinterpreted something that that steve and or i said at some point in time with this um <clears throat> we do not have the rights to convert any dungeons and dragons settings that are owned by wizards of the coast there is not going to be a planescape conversion for cnc or amazing adventures somebody else asked for a ravenloft conversion for amazing adventures and that's we don't have the rights to do it. It's it's not something we can do. What we have talked about is a planar adventuring type game because um, we realize that that's the one area we really haven't gone in CNC is the planes. Um, there's a little bit of a talk in the Adventures backpack about them, but we haven't done a real like planar adventuring with different, you know, um, prime material planes and all of that thing. So. Yes, Steve and I have actually talked about doing a planar game, and, and it's going to be a, an Amazing Adventures, Castles, and Crusades crossover game. 
um, if we do it. And certainly uh, Victorious will fit in there as well. Um, I hesitate to use it again because we don't own it. So like with that caveat, it will be Planescape-like. But I also want to add in um, some uh, stuff like the old um, Spelljammer stuff in there. So uh, there will be outer space adventuring as well. So that'll tie into the Star Siege. Um, so I just love the idea of having like, you know, an elven Imperium in spacecraft fighting the Orcish Empire, you know, uh, traversing not just through outer space, but through the planes, um, I think is a really neat idea to play with. So uh, we, we've kicked around a lot of ideas. We've kicked around ideas of um, centering it uh, around ends meet, which is uh, uh, Steve's big setting in, in Castles and Crusades and having ends meet be kind of like our, our city where, you know, that is the center of all the planes and ends meet appears everywhere in some form. I don't know if that's going to happen. That's something we've kicked around. Um, you know, uh, the rings of brass are, are the clear means to do it in castles and crusades. Anybody who's familiar with aired knows that the rings of brass are scattered throughout the world and that they appear on different planes of existence. And they're, they're a means of travel through the cosmos. Um, I have imported the rings of brass into some amazing adventures scenarios that I've written and run. Um, I don't think they're published yet, but I'm actually, uh, it's another project I'm working on is going to be a box set for amazing adventures. Um, that's going to flesh out, um, the 1930s campaign setting that I use in there. Uh, and that will have the rings of brass in it. So most likely whatever we do will center around the rings of brass. Um, but I, uh, it's not, it's not actually a planescape conversion, but it will be a planar campaigns and again much like star siege it's something we've kicked around it's something we want to do but it's not on the schedule right now so it's not in active development mm. okay we have an email from epi camacho he says hey guys love the show always looking forward to the next episode jason what was your inspiration for amazing adventures is there any particular series of books or movies that influenced you was watching readers of the lost ark and was thinking to myself that would make for an awesome adventure Anyways, thanks for listening. Yeah, I mean, there's a character class in Amazing Adventures called the Raider. So, I mean... <laughs> um, um, You're not just a big football fan? No, no. Um, <laughs> although you could go the Tomb Raider route with that, too. So, it's sure. you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark or Tomb Raider, both of them fit. Uh, so does Rick O'Connell from The Mummy, in fact. Um, but uh, I've just always been a fan of... of like I said earlier, I started with Conan when I was 12, and I've always been a fan of those old um, paperback novels, and, and I, I love action-adventure movies. I love sci-fi movies. I just – I love genre stories and genre role-playing and genre. So there was no specific set of books, a lifelong interest in all of these things, and everybody does fantasy games, and um, I'm a big fan of doing modern role-playing. So – um, I thought that the Siege engine could really use it, and uh, thankfully Steve agreed. Um, a lot of the rules and character classes in Amazing Adventures came out of my house rules for my long-running Castles and Crusades game. So um, character classes like the Duelist and the Acrobat uh, in in the Amazing Adventures Companion um, and the Pirate all came out of my home CNC game. Same with the Psionics rules. Uh, and the mana system. They all came out of my home CNC game. 
Um, and I just retooled them and popped them into a modern game and went from there. So um, it's just, it's again, it's just a long love of, of modern genre role-playing that, that kind of germinated it. Very cool. And I think that goes with the spirit of Amazing Adventures also because we touched on a couple times how it <laughs> can be anything, you know, and it seems like your inspiration was not just one subgenre. It was sci-fi fantasy genre in general. Yeah, it was all over the board. Um, yeah. And and again, the core book does kind of folk, uh, appear to focus on like the 1920s, the 1940s adventure pulps because um, it just happens to be the, the characters that I put in and the adventure that I put in there. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was, my interests are all over the map and I wanted a game that I could be proud of that I could turn to and run any type of game that I wanted, any type of story that I wanted. So that's really where it came from. Okay, awesome. That wraps up all of our emails and questions. Again, Jason, thanks for being on the show with us. It's always good to look into the other games that Troll Lord has other than just CNC. And we are a CNC show, but I think there's a lot here in Amazing Adventures that can be used in your CNC game. And it's it's also a great game on its own to branch out on. So, Absolutely. Thanks yep. again. Thanks for having me on. It's been a blast. I really appreciate it. I kind of wish Tyler could be here. I'm bummed that he couldn't make it. Um, yeah. But thanks a lot for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. So, um, And everybody pay attention for the Amazing Adventures 5th Edition Kickstarter. It's coming really, really soon. And I will talk to Steve about releasing that cover art as soon as I can. All right. That, that was the easiest episode I've ever done, I think. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, well, I'm glad. <laughs> Max's episode was done on mo- multiple nights of recording. Yeah. And, and oh, really? glommed together because of silly errors and problems. And I literally st- stopped recording the show halfway through without realizing it. And Jesse realized it and told me it happened. And I said, no, nah, man, it's good. I checked it. And I checked it wrong, and it was just—it was dumb. The uh, whole thing was very frustrating for me. There's even ADR in that episode where I recorded myself separately just to <laughs> get the just to make it work to work together. Yeah, <laughs> ridiculous wow. level of production for a podcast where we're just chatting. <laughs> That's awesome. You're far more organized than our usual guests. Okay? <laughs> we are. Which you know who such, those people which is, are. Which is awful because I'm totally not organized at all. I'm just bitballing here. <laughs>